Lord Tyrannus. My master. There is a disturbance in the force. Your assassin. She has become very powerful. Yes, my lord. She is quite important to me. Too important. Master. Silence. I can sense her powers growing stronger. I would hate to think you are training your own Sith apprentice to destroy me. Never. My allegiance is to you and you alone. Then you must prove it. Eliminate her. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Denver is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice, though today I'm in Greeley, so we are, we are in the same city today. We, the, this may be a first for us. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Well, today we're talking about assassins. Seems fitting. You got any favorite assassin films? You know, I, I don't really like like a lot of the movies I could think of weren't necessarily, they weren't assassin characters necessarily. Like they, I guess they like the, the main thing that comes to mind with assassins, but also with this episode, sort of assassins who are, sort of betrayed or or, or whatever. Like, I, I thought about Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy a lot. She's sure. sort of a she is kind of the go to like assassin task master handler character in in that in that film. I thought about her a lot. I still need to see that Clint Eastwood movie, The American Assassin. Did you watch that? No. With uh, is that the one with Bradley Cooper? Yeah, I I own it. I just have never taken the time to watch it. It feels like a heavier movie. Yeah. I, that's I, I didn't see it either, but that was kind of the vibe I got too. On the fun side, I really did like the movie Assassins, which is just uh, Sylvester Stallone and Banderas. <laughs> I thought I thought it was great fun. Did you see this movie? I did not. Fifteen years ago, I walked into this bank just like you are now. That makes you good because I was the best. But now you feel like a mark, don't you? You see, you sold out. Trust. And you, Antiguado? Eh? Can you trust? No one. You are alone. Same as me. If if you ever uh, are flipping uh, around on cable and come across that movie on TNT or something, you know, <laughs> take some time to watch it. It's worth sticking around for. Yeah. What one of the movies I also thought of was the movie Red with Bruce Willis, where he's a former contract killer assassin who has kind of retired from the business, mm-hmm. uh, and then gets drawn back into it uh-huh. reluctantly. And it, and it's another one of those like not a great movie, but it's fun. But it's fun. It's it's Bruce Willis and Morgan Freeman and John Malkovich and Helen Mirren and uh, Mary Louise Parker. So there's there's just a lot of fun. Stuff blows up, and there's action sequence, and there's and there's action sequences, and there's a lot of humor. What else do you want in a action film? I'm saying in a film like that, nothing else really. <laughs> like speaking of John Malkovich, I suppose In the Line of Fire is a great assassin movie. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that with uh, Clint Eastwood. Yes, it's, it's, yeah, that's boy, I haven't seen that one for a while. 
Do you have any idea what I've done for God and country? I don't even remember who I was before they sunk their claws into me. They made you into a real monster, That's right? That's right. And now they want to destroy me because we can't have monsters roaming the quiet countryside now, can we? What in the in the like lists of movies about assassins or contract killers? Yeah, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey came up in just the search I did, and I was trying to think. I'm like, I don't really remember a lot of like assassination plots in that, but I guess they're kind of it. I don't know. Um, but I am going to talk about Harley Quinn here in a minute. She was on my mind for this one too. Boom. Same with Nebula, honestly, like for kind of similar reasons. Very similar reasons. Uh, there's something to be said about the character who is a villain, but not the primary villain. And we brought that up when we talked about ARC Troopers, but I wanted to bring that up again uh, in terms of thinking through the depthier side of one Asajj Ventress, who's going to be the principal character in this arc that we're entering. So, you ready to get into this? Let's do it. I suppose, just as an intro, we're, we're tackling the Night Sisters, as you can see by the title on this podcast. Uh, this is Season 3, Episode 12. This is a tremendous three-episode arc, just in terms of story beats, plot, movement. This arc is superior, in my mind, to many of the Star Wars movies and is just a delight to watch. So I'm saying, I'm saying the hook in for you, for you, Daniel, because you just got to watch the first episode, yeah? I've only watched the first one, yeah. So for you, dear listener, if you haven't got a chance to watch, watch it all, do buzz through this. It's great. And then come back to our other two deep dives, but... This episode's going to do something kind of fresh for us in that it introduces magic into the Star Wars universe. That's always kind of a, that's a move in a lot of these big properties. And when it happens, it's always like, oh, okay. So like the MCU does it through yeah. Doctor Strange or, you know, it, start, it starts to happen at some points in DC. Like apparently now it's kryptonite can incapacitate Superman, but also magic. Also magic. That I did not know that. That's is yeah. that true? Magic? I wanna say that's true. I'm pulling that from the recesses of my twelve year old brain, but with, with the recent years, at least in the film universes of these things, it's like, mm-hmm. all right, we're gonna lay down enough groundwork to sort of really hook you in, and then yes, we're gonna we're gonna introduce we'll we'll go through sort of billionaires who become superheroes with tech geniuses. Then we're gonna introduce like weird things happening because of science, which we all mm-hmm. sort of just naturally buy into because you know weird things happen with science all the time because nobody is ever in the room with scientists going, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> then it seems like with all these universes, they go, all right, we've 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 dealt with this. I think people are ready to realize that there are gods walking around. Mm-hmm. then, the next step is like, and now the wizards. Wizards show up. Yeah. You see this in Game of Thrones. When somebody can do magic, all the really strong characters get nervous. <laughs> right, because they haven't gotten magic. It's like, oh, she's a witch. Okay. Let's distrust her. For the night is dark and full of terrors. The night is dark and full of terrors. I think I'm going to go to that other camp. Whereas in other things like Lord of the Rings, it's like t- just very common and and not untrue. Like this Gandalf comes into the Shire, and everybody's excited for for what you know <laughs> what things get what what's going to happen because the wizard is in town. I need to look that up. I should know this off the top of my head. Like, what has Gandalf done for the folks of the Shire? Is he just a pal, or you know, did he help him help save him at some point? Is he like a local hero, or is it just the fireworks? I mean, the fireworks are enough. 
That's <laughs> this is how you 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 buy friends off. Unless <laughs> yeah, you you do you do awesome magical firework things and and show up with your tobacco and. <laughs> Don't let any descendants of the Took family get a hold of your fireworks, and there's you're not going to have any problems at your celebration. Everyone's a pal. Yeah. <laughs> the proverb here is the swiftest path to destruction is through vengeance. Yep. The, the, the fastest way to bring yourself down or something down is to be motivated by the desire to punish other people. Yeah. There's a line, I want to say it's from the Buddha, that's something to the extent of unforgiveness... And hatred is like eating rat poison and hoping that the rat dies. I've heard versions of that as well. I know Anne Lamont has a has a spin on that that's that's real clever and but I think that comes from the Buddha. Anyway. Uh or what is it like hatred is drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies or something yeah. to that effect? And we know what that feels like. I mean not me personally, I'm pretty <laughs> pretty chill. Just get along with everybody. Yeah. No, I Entirely too familiar with this thought, with this <laughs> this sentiment. I was like, oh, it just felt real like guilty. Shaming me, Star Wars. <laughs> I don't come to this science fiction fantasy program to learn lessons about real life. Because <laughs> clearly, I don't understand how science fiction and fantasy work. <laughs> what is this going to be, a moral development? You mean the zombie movie is allegorical? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the narrator pipes in. Galactic Showdown. In a fierce battle for survival, the Republic and Separatist armies have clashed in the distant solar system. Count Dooku's most cunning assassin, Asajj Ventress, leads the vicious attack. And we see a large space battle, and we see a new ship for Ventress, which is like a Spanish dancing fan look to it. <laughs> yeah, it totally looks like that. Yeah. This is her ship in the original Clone Wars uh, 2003 animated series. It made me think, of, like, to me, it looked like a submarine. Like, it should be, like, it had Ooh. almost like a 20,000 leagues under the sea kind of, like, yeah. nautical feel to it. Like, real sleek and the fin kind of like a fish. Sure. It was kind of what it made me think. Just a really striking, uh, kind of sleek ship fitting for her character. Love that. And that's entirely how it's used. Like, st- like, a, like a stealth ship. Yeah, I like that. Well, of all things, it's the only appearance of this ship in the in Clone Wars computer animated because uh, we're going to see it blown apart here in a minute. <laughs> so, yes. But there are there's like five or six Republic Star Destroyers that we see, and we get a sense of in this opening scene, you get to see Ventress's skill and power. She's leading a squad, and she says, "Dryden Group One, attack the starboard engines." Trident Group 2, knock out their port shield generators. I'll go directly for their bridge. We know from watching the original trilogy what it looks like to have a bunch of Star Destroyers coming at you. Scary. We know how Han reacts. We know how the end of, you know, Return of the Jedi works. You know, everybody's freaking out, but not her. Nope. She has a handful of those Tri-Fighters, and she's like just going right at these Star Destroyers and taking some of them down. And that's what happened. We hear a clone on the bridge of one of the main Star Destroyers say, The port side deflectors are gone! We see Ventress begin firing, and we see a Star Destroyer destroyed. Which which is crazy. Just picking picking those suckers off. Yeah, they're, they mean business. 
And we know how big those things are. When when you see something like Force Awakens and you see that opening scene with Ray, these things are are fairly intimidating. Yeah, and there yeah, there's like zero <laughs> zero fear and zero intimidation and in, in this character and the people around her. Like it's just like they're that convinced that they are that good at their jobs. Great setup for this next scene. Because we're going to cut to Count Dooku's palace on Sereno. And we see him in this large cathedral-esque office that we saw in the Lost Ones episode. And there's those huge green windows. And a hologram opens up. And it is Darth Sidious. Dun-dun-dun! Lord Tyrannus, my master. There is a disturbance in the Force. Your assassin. She has become very powerful. Yes, my lord. She is quite important to me. Too important. Which is kind of a weird, like, it's almost like he doesn't want to acknowledge that, like, she's powerful. It's like, yeah, she's important. <laughs> no, she's powerful. Yeah, no, no, I mean, she's really great. She's super important. She does the stuff. No, but she's powerful. I don't think I noted that. What, they're talking about two very different things, or does, does Dooku already know what's coming here? I think I think Dooku is a is a ladder climbing status craving coward and I think to admit yeah. that somebody is powerful is to perhaps lose a little of his power so oh, I think it's sure. I think it's I think it's kind of a tactical like like yes they do things that have value in some circumstances <laughs> no we're saying she's powerful yes at from time to time she performs quite efficiently that's it what's wrong with you right so I have this asset. Yeah. I would like to tell you that I would like to keep this asset. Yeah, exactly. This, by the way, is in the middle, apparently, of the space battle. Sidious feels a disturbance in the force and realizes, okay, something needs to change here. Yeah, because she just took down a star destroyer. <laughs> right. I'm going to call up. I'm going to call somebody up. Hey, tech support. It's my middle of the night phone call. <laughs> well, the disturbance is that the Separatists are being victorious, that Asajj Ventress is taking down Star Destroyers. Is this making Sidious afraid? Because that might be fairly unique. I would say maybe only as much as knowing the kind of rules of the Sith that if your apprentice gets too powerful, then you can be murdered. So he might be cautious and trying to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Trying to keep his own power. At the very least, Sidious is always aware of all the pieces on the board. He's protecting his enormous leverage and just very aware of the boundaries, I suppose. Yeah. Or it might even be a uh, like a preventative thing. Like he's yeah. not really afraid. He's not really worried. But it's like, you know what? This could be a problem later. Let's just take care of it now. Who cares? It's not like I have to do it. Yeah. He's certainly aware that Dooku has an apprentice. And he's got to be aware that Dooku's apprentice is a very skilled assassin. And you know what? If you were going to take out, say, one Chancellor Palpatine, a very skilled Wait a minute. We were talking about assassin. Darth Sidious. What does this have to do with Palpatine? Oh! I have to say that every time. It's, it's part of my contract. Well, Dooku, I think, has real affection that is expressed here that will not be expressed later. Master. Silence. I can sense her powers growing stronger. I would hate to think you are training your own Sith apprentice to destroy me. Never. My allegiance is to you and you alone. 
You got any thoughts here? I mean, I don't think that that's true. Yeah, I, I, you right. know, I mean, we see every time these like these Sith lords turn around, they're trying to tell somebody else, like, you know, who we're all tired of is the head guy in the black robe that's in charge of things now. And I'm pretty sure you and I could team up and take him down. Like yeah. that is like every like every lunch meeting one of those guys takes <laughs> is to is to mount an insurrection. This, this like, is so of course that's BS. It's the way of the Sith. Yeah. I, they may show this in some other episodes. I can't think of any places where I'm like, you know what, Dooku's actually positioning here, isn't he? Yeah, I may be wrong, uh, but just off the top of my head, that seems like uh, not not the way that that he rolls. He might actually be one of those guys that's kind of comfortable just being kind of number two. Maybe I'm trying to think of Dooku in the films, and if he mm -hmm. has any lines that betray or or would would lead me to think that. You must join me, Obi Wan, and together we will destroy the Sith. I will never join you, Dooku. On the flip side, in the original trilogy, this is a huge part of the original trilogy, Vader coming to Luke. You can destroy the Emperor. He has foreseen this. You know, the, yeah. in fact, the identical language is used when Sidious goes to Vader. There is a great disturbance in the Force. I have felt it. We have a new enemy. The young rebel who destroyed the Death Star. I have no doubt this boy is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. And it also just might be one of those things on, on Sidious's point where it's like, the kinds of people who screw other people over and take advantage of them constantly are always thinking other people are trying to screw them over and take advantage of them. So it might just be like, I know this is how I treat people, so I'm just yeah. afraid that you're going to do it to me. Bang. What's interesting with uh, Empire Strikes Back is it feels like Sidious wants to get rid of Vader and take Luke on, but that's not what happens here. Apparently Sidious is just fine with Dooku. It's not like he says, he says, I want you to kill Ventress. He doesn't you know, push them against one another like he does Vader and Luke. You know what I mean there? Oh, yeah, that's true. Might also just be a thing for him to do. You know what I mean? Like, it, it might just be like, eh, loyalty test. Yeah. I that Maybe he is well aware that Dooku has a loving affection for this person. And maybe that's exactly it. It's It's just even more... Once you start going down the trail of doing awful things for somebody and they ask you for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, I don't know this personally, but just watching, you know, guys on cable news, it's, I mean, it seems like that's how, how some people function. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You want to, you're, <laughs> yeah. You didn't say anything when he was making fun of POWs and now you can't say anything when. Again, hypothetically. Hypothetically. Didn't defend your best friend who had his arms broken and was in a communist dungeon for three years. You're pretty much enslaved at that moment. You've, you've already sold. Sold out. <laughs> Never. My allegiance is to you and you alone. Then you must prove it. Eliminate her.
By the way, what do you call someone who insists you cut off relationships that uh, oppose your sense of power? What do you call that person or what do you call those relationships? Uh, both. <laughs> I mean, I would call that person an Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, that's that's clearly a manipulative abusive relationship. See, it's just proving himself to be an abuser. She's my most trusted. I said, eliminate her. Did I stutter? As you wish, my lord. He did, I stutter. But great, great scene here. Um, yeah. Anything else worth saying? Yeah, it's just, I think this is just a scene that shows, helps prove my point that I think Count Dooku is just kind of a coward who's willing to attach himself to whatever, like he's a, what are they called, like a remora? Are those the things that, that attach themselves to the undersides of sharks and just get sure. swam around? Yeah. Like, like he's like that. Like, so he's, so even though, <laughs> yeah, even though he very much cares for Ventress or so he says at least. Uh, if the more powerful person wants, if the more powerful person wants him to do that, he's very happy to shift, because all that matters for him is status and authority. One of my favorite epiphanies was what we talked about in Arc Troopers, where it's like a suicide mission: the the separatists attacking Camino. And I wonder if it's not the case that this has been on Sidious's mind for a while that he needs to kill Ventress, and so he sets up a suicide mission. And she actually overcomes and almost is, you know, a hair's breadth away from getting the job done. Yeah. Or, I mean, it also could just be a thing where if he sends Dooku to kill Ventress, either he's going to kill her and he proves himself or she'll kill him and she's super powerful and she takes his job and now she works with Sidious. Yeah. So one, it's a win-win for him. Right. That's good. We cut back to the space battle. We see Anakin and Kenobi and their Jedi fighters, and they are tailed by Ventress's squad of tri-fighters. She shoots and clips the back of Kenobi's interceptor, and Anakin says, Ventress. (laughs) I haven't realized this, but that's the first thing he says every time Ventress appears. It's just always, Ventress. (laughs) Yeah. Kenobi says, Split up. And the two interceptors spin around one another. It's a real pretty shot. Mm Mm-hmm. They go different ways. Ventress follows Obi-Wan and the squad follows Anakin. Kenobi, James Bond-like. Looks like I'm her favorite. I'm kind of disappointed. Oh, and the droids follow me. Which I kind of liked. Like, I know we've kind of talked about before, like, is there like a, is there like an Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, Ventress thing? Like a little playful, and, and, and like, this kind of pushed me over the, at least, uh, at least in his mind. I think there might be a little like, oh, the woman who seems to hate me, I'm sort of attracted to. Again, when, I have no personal history with this in my real life, but just observing <laughs> other people. When when we get a chance to see the woman that he is uh, outwardly pursuing, this has to be the absolute opposite of the <laughs> side of the spectrum from Ventress. Oh. Um, very, well, regal, rule follower, above, you know, certainly possesses the high ground <laughs> as her personality. Uh-oh. Which we know Obi-Wan Kenobi is a fan of. That's right. Well, yeah, there's the people you should be in relationships with, and then there's the people who, who are hurricanes of bad choices that you yep. shouldn't be with, that you're like, I'm a little uh I'm a little interested in the hurricane. <laughs> Attracted to the bad boys, the 
Well, Anakin's followed by those tri fighters. These, I didn't know this. These are actually droids. The whole ship is a droid. Yeah, see that was that's news to me as well. So these are so they look kind of like mosquitoes if you if you if you Google image search them, the tri fighters. They're shaped like starfighters, but they don't have any pilots. So we might imagine them kind of like drones that are used in combat and dogfighting. That's exactly what they look like. Come on. Yeah. Anakin says, you want to race? Come on. Set on his right, some behind him. Through a series of turns, he crashes the two sets into one another. This is pod racing. The guy's a hell of a pilot. <laughs> we cut over to Kenobi and Ventress. Anakin, I'm going to need some help. Where are you? Tagged again. I'm hit! I'm heading toward the Separatist flagship. I see you. I've got her. Anakin then disables Ventress's ship from behind, and they all go careening into the bay of the Separatist frigate, and this is their command ship. Obi-Wan is clearly wrecked. He's holding his head in pain. <laughs> R4, his droid, is on fire. Or... <laughs> And aware of it. <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, can you can you help me out here? Yeah. Why don't you yeah, walk it off and get me out of this burning ship? R4 gets beat up quite a bit I in Star know. Wars. He gets decapitated in Revenge of the Sith. R4, be careful. Oh, dear. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> and he knows it and feels it the whole time because, again, droids have feelings. That's right. Ventress is also beaten down in wreckage, and she calls for help to Dooku. A hologram appears. Master, I need your help quickly. I'm surrounded. You have already lost the battle, child. Again, a very affectionate term there, I think. I don't feel like that's condescending. It, it's Oh, least, I do. Do you? Oh, yeah. Okay, you're a child. Yeah, like you, you lost, you child. Ah, maybe, I, maybe I heard that differently. Because it's, it's. I think it's entirely for his own benefit that he's doing that. Because, because I do think there's, there is probably some affection for her. So I think in order to do what he's been instructed to do, he has to, he has to mentally go to a place where it's like you are a child and a loser, and that's why you're, you're on your own. Yeah, I like your take better. I've ordered your reinforcements to return. No, I will destroy the Jedi. I'll show you. Dooku ends here with some some pretty important lines in in all of Star Wars. He's pulling all sorts of great things into this one paragraph. You have failed me for the last time. You are no longer my apprentice. And now you shall die. Real cold divorce, but uh, you got any thought? You got any thoughts on, on the, this conversation? Yeah, he. I I think Dooku is just kind of a pathetic, spineless guy who's willing to to do what, and and it's like none of this is true. Like every time we see Ventress, she's almost entirely successful in creating chaos in creating destruction in creating division in separating people and isolating people uh 
it's only when she's really following his plans that there's any type of real quote-unquote failure. Like when we see her in the first episode of The Clone Wars. Yeah. Like, they're really doing what Dooku says, and the plan goes around. Like, she is a badass. She is entirely capable of doing the thing. So, like, this 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 breakup phone call is is kind of pathetic on Dooku's part. Yeah, agreed. It's like he didn't put a lot of thought into it. That brings up something that we spent a lot of time on this in our ARC Troopers episode, but this is what makes her a more interesting character than Dooku, is mm-hmm. she is the number two. And you can just do so much more sometimes in terms of um, character development and real moral dilemmas and you know with, with the number two villain. Because yeah, you can are, do stuff with Harley Quinn that you can't with the Joker. That's it. The The Joker is the source of evil, and Harley Quinn has given herself to the Joker, but she doesn't have to stay there. Yeah, and, and there's there's so many, uh, to mix in a bad like metaphor, there's so many flavors of, of things you can try with that. Like it's, she can fully leave, she can she can doubt it and be a little questioning or she can like there's so many more interesting whereas like you you can't do those things with the joker exactly a because people would lose their minds and b because it like it just doesn't work because of that she's worth watching and worth really digging into um the guy that immediately comes to my mind on this front in terms of like just legitimate perfect execution is jamie lannister Mm -hmm. jamie lannister is the number two to his father his father actually is the source in some ways of evil or at least of that dominant perspective. And Lannister, Jamie Lannister is having to always react to what Tywin is doing. Yeah. yeah I think, yeah, yeah, totally agree. And to just take it a few steps further, I actually think Jamie Lannister is the number two to his whole family. True. Oh, I to, didn't even think his, about his sister. To his father, to yeah. his sister, and his sister, much in the same way we talk about like Palpatine being the the abuser in an abusive relationship, yeah. is also like very much interested in kind of treating him this way. Granted, yep. there are things he does to her that are unspeakable and horrible and 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 at least in the show. At least in the show. I, yeah. apparently that wasn't in the book. It it was not. And yeah. and it's it it. That's a whole other conversation. Yep. But yep. But, <laughs> but yes, he he is the second in command who is trapped. Both, he, which is what makes his reconnection and kindnesses that he chooses to show in the latter parts of the series to his to Tyrion, which yeah. is what make that so rewarding because they're True. they're kind of the same guy. The family views them in essentially the same way. Just one of them is handsome and useful, and the other one is is actually all of the things they don't like. Yeah. But they're they're similar in terms of like they're just sort of not people. They're you know they're not people to their family. Uh, one of them is worthless and one of them is a tool. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Lots of places we could go here with these number twos. I we have that list in the Arc Troopers. I started making more. We already talked about Harlequin, but uh, the Loki series has just come out. Loki routinely. Did you start is, watching that finally? Man, Loki is so great. Yes. So I'm I'm to the second episode, but. Um, Ooh, okay. Loki has the ability to be potentially somebody who can be converted because he's always serving somebody else. You know, doesn't always have to lose. 
Um, the operative in the Firefly is kind of this character. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about this. I, I don't get into Harry Potter as much, but isn't it the case that Snape is essentially that character? Yeah. Let me unpack that, that there are two clear choices for allegiance. And I imagine they are both um, attractive to this character. Or is it the case that you think Snape is just, he's all one side? Do Are you asking me if I think that? Or are yeah. you saying... No, I'm asking you if you think that. Is Snape fully committed to one side or does he feel temptations? Well, I mean, that's the that's the big reveal of Snape's character that actually he's yeah. been in love with Harry's mom and has been actively working to protect Harry through all seven books. Yeah. And... and what came to Dumbledore and was sent in to pretend to be loyal to the dark side to bring information back, but has been, I think his, his bitterness sort of turns him into kind of a sort of unkind and cruel, but deep down in his heart, he, he has actually always been a good, I mean, it's, it's, it's the antithesis of what everyone says with Jar Jar, where it's like Jar Jar is in the back mouthing things when bad things are happening. Whereas if you read the books or you look at the movies, when they show all the bad things that have happened yeah. throughout those years to Harry, Snape is in the background muttering counterspells and everything else trying to save him. Yeah, You're exactly right. Maybe that character works so well because we're used to this trope. Yeah. And that's not actually who that character is. Yeah, it was a, it was a massive uh, a massive misdirect. That's good. I thought uh, I'm going to take that. It's done real well too. It's one of my favorites. I think. Uh, uh, well, again, Nebula in 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 Guardians yep. of the Galaxy. She she is a number two, and you can do so many interesting things with her, which we get to see in in game and Infinity War. She's so interesting in in both Guardians films, but then specifically in the the last two Avengers films. Real similar to Asajj Ventress. And it's not just the haircut. <laughs> and the martial arts, yeah. The, <laughs> it's, the, it's the abused woman who's an assassin. Yeah. Uh, who is, you know, manipulated by a... I mean, it, Thanos is clearly much more manipulative, I think, than Dooku is. But I, th- I feel like there's more of a relationship there, I suppose, with what, what we see with Dooku and, and Ventress. They're... They're a team. Well, and they're a team versus Thanos is just at his core, at least with him, with, excuse me, at least with Gamora and Nebula, he's truly just an abusive father. Yep. Like a really, really manipulative, abusive father. Yeah. 100% my way kind of character. Yeah. I'm going to do what I want to do. The other person that came to my mind in terms of their character growth is Tyler Durden. Edward Norton is a second in that movie, even though it's the case that Brad Pitt is a projection. Yeah. Edward Norton is the second, and we care about Edward Norton's character growth, as it were. And he is making decisions by the end of the movie to get healthy, to get clean, to move away from, you know, toxic terrorist masculinity. Yeah. (laughs) Am I wrong? Yeah, there's a there's a psychological component to that that I'm not sure how it, it works, but yeah. Then in that, I mean, to to go off of that, then like Gollum and Smeagol, those are also yes. two different, like a second to a, I mean, again to himself, but still kind of just this play I, to get away from the abusive versus and and obviously he can't, but and I think that works because you are you're 
pulling for Smeagol. We know what it's like. I mean, the for 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 those of us who struggle with addiction, we know what it's like to say, you know, I'm at war with myself, or you know, there's inner conflict, or I mean, it's, it, it doesn't even have to be about addiction. I, I imagine many of us know what it's like to to feel like we're fighting ourselves. And yeah, so where that, it's like depression, anxiety, yeah, other th- like I mean, it could pick something. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> What's the thing? Yeah, <laughs> and that's how it works. The uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I would be remiss if we're talking about number two villains if I didn't mention uh, Robert Wagner in the Austin Powers films, who is whose character's name is literally number two, and he is the henchman <laughs> to Doctor Evil. Who does number two work for? Exactly. <laughs> Bear down, buddy. It'll be okay. <laughs> exactly. Hey, partner. Come on. You got to relax. Don't force it. Get to blow out your O-ring. Drop a lung. <laughs> I just couldn't not. Felt like felt like I would I would regret it later if I didn't mention that. <laughs> so good. And of course, in Star Wars, in Star Wars characters, there's there's lots of number twos. Darth Vader is clearly a number two. Kylo Ren's a number two to Darth Maul. Uh, Snoke. Darth Maul starts out as a number two. Darth Maul, true, in yeah, he... theory, and we'll we'll see this. It might be the case that well, Darth Maul, as we see him in Siege of Mandalore, we've already seen that has moved into a different kind of position. Much more yeah. like it's like Jabba is a number one, yeah. Maul is a number one. Sidious is a number one. Yeah, I, I think I think Darth Maul gets there. He doesn't start out as a number one, but he sort of yeah uh, emancipates himself. Yeah, that's not the right word. Uh, no. It's we, uh, man, buckle up. The, the, those listeners who have already seen the Clone Wars will know that some of that movement there is movement for for Maul when Maul reemerges. We have to see Maul from. You've seen Maul cut in half by Kenobi, and you've seen him in Caesar of Mandalore. There is a huge right arc in the middle, and yes, it, it just. It can. It could not have been told better. It re, it just could not have been told better. It's um, aside of C, from Siege of Mandalore, this stuff that they're going to do in terms of not just reemerging Maul's character, but the path that the journey that he goes on. <sighs> Some stuff. So stay tuned. We'll get to that in two years. <laughs> I suppose it's the case. I don't know if there's a lot of other characters that go from they are number twos to they become villainous number ones. But certainly Maul does. Definitely. I was, keep on, Grand Moff Tarkin, he's a number two. Yeah, there you go. Truth. Comes across as a number one in New Hope, but but you're right. I mean, he's... Yeah, but he's really not. And, yeah. and in I guess in many cases, I guess he's sort of... Uh, I guess Darth Vader is kind of a number three in that yeah. sense because it, it feels like... I mean, Tarkin is the one snapping orders at vader <laughs> yeah we've talked about this in terms of how the separatist imperial structure often works where the number one sidious often has that general character tarkin is that character for sidious and then he has vader the assassin same structure for dooku dooku is in charge grievous is the general ventress is the assassin it's a strange kind of structure there but that's yeah it's like you got rasputin next to you in the room filled with all the generals, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Your, 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 your worm tongue. We're talking a lot yeah. about Lord of the Rings today, but yeah. <laughs> your, 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 no, uh, that's right. 
kind of kind of magic-y kind of evil advisor guy that's a character you know who i love who's that character it's it's a, it's totally a different structure but steve bannon <laughs> <laughs> man that is who that dude is uh even though steve bannon looks like theoden <laughs> under the possession of sauron <laughs> just can't trust a dude that looks that unhealthy this this is this is rule number one <laughs> Um, if you haven't read this, it's really worth picking up. And I'm shocked that they have not made this into a movie is the eyes of the dragon by Stephen King. Stephen King wrote a, Oh, I haven't read that one. It's a medieval tale. He wrote it for his daughter. It's absolutely gorgeous. Every, everything about that book works. It's, I think I'm to my knowledge, it's owned by Rob Reiner who has been sitting on the rights. They were trying to develop it, I think into a cartoon a while back, but just amazing but there is a wizard character who's the right hand of the king named flag um flag is a character that pops up throughout the stephen king universe and becomes the main villain in the stand Mm. but he's like has these different incarnations but he ends up being you know a wizard character that's just that uh yeah breathing lies into the ear of the king in front of all the soldiers as it were powerful stuff it's the opposite of Merlin, isn't it? That's what that really is. Yeah, it, uh, that's what I was just going to say. I was just thinking and going to say that. Yeah, like he is, it's sort of like the anti-Merlin. Yeah. Actually, speaking of, I didn't think about this, but speaking of Eyes of the Dragon, that's another assassin tale. It's a medieval assassin Ooh. tale. So tasty, super tasty. One last thing, just to circle back to the dialogue. Notice these three very important quotes that are just finding their way into Dooku's mouth as he's breaking this relationship. The first is, you'll remember from uh, Empire Strikes Back, Vader strangling Admiral Azel says, You have failed me for the last time, Admiral. Yep. Like This is how we Sith cut things off. <laughs> the second is from Sidious at the very end of Return of the Jedi when he says, No. Skywalker, you will die. So again, I suppose when you're when you're getting rid of a potential apprentice, this is again how it's done. I I don't want to do any spoilers, but the other is from the near the end of Clone Wars. In the mouth of Darth Sidious, he's going to say, "You're no longer my apprentice." In a in a really important scene, and I just want to earmark that that that's mm-hmm. put into the mouth of dooku here and they do that a lot with dooku I've, I've started to notice like a lot of the most important lines actually find their way into dooku's mouth here and there and i like those rhymes they're i, th- I find them enjoyable yeah that's very interesting well it's all, i mean it just it just kind of shows that these guys all play from the same playbook yeah yeah grounded um i was thinking of something that was like the opposite of that today it was something from the sequel trilogy had one of the starships. It was, it was, it was dumb. It was, it was just like one of the starships was called something that just didn't feel very Star Wars ish. Oh, the Pequod. Yeah. (laughs) It was, it was, it was something that was like too on the nose, too mustache twirly. And I was like, you can get up to the line, but you can't go over the line. And that, yeah. that's just what that's you just jumped over the line with that. In Spaceballs, you can. In real right. Star Wars, you can't. That's what it was. It felt like Spaceballs. Mm. And I was like, 
this is why you need good stewardship. One of the many reasons, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. Um, what was it called? I now want to know what the ship was like. What, like the, the, the kill all the children? Is that the, <laughs> it was the finalizer. The might of the final order will soon be ready. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that one is. That should be a Jason Statham movie. <laughs> Not. One last thing about. I meant to mention this with number twos. One last thing about the movement of number twos is that they actually become servants of the principal evil or it's not very common actually where they actually reject the principal evil before they're betrayed. So like Vader is betrayed by Sidious and then he throws him down a chute. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or I suppose, I mean, I suppose he's trying to move into the power position before that. And he, so that's just a tug of war between unhealthy people. <laughs> yeah. But it is like, we keep talking about Harley Quinn, She's betrayed in in the animated series in the in the few live action films with her, yeah. and then in the comic book, she is routinely betrayed over and over and over and over again by the Joker, and it takes a while for her to get to the point where, as a character, she decides I'm out. Yeah. In uh, Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of Harley Quinn. It's only because he breaks up with her yeah. at the beginning of the movie. So it's like she's like one more final betrayal from him before she's like, fine, screw you. I'm out of here. Yeah. If you really get into Harley Quinn's story, the DC animated movie Assault on Arkham is fantastic. And it's it's jumping down the timeline where she already is furious at the Joker. And there, there might be a run in. <laughs> is it really Aren't you even going to say hello? <laughs> tell him to shut up. Oh, I can tell you're still sore. At least the bruise is cleared up nicely. Similarly, if yeah. if you also have the HBO Max, the animated Harley Quinn series uh-huh. is a t- is just some of the most fun Batman universe stuff I have ever seen. Oh, I don't uh, know this. do not watch it with children in the room. It looks like a kid's cartoon. It is not. It is not. But they also do some. There is a a breakup and a few confrontation scenes. It's done in a very funny way. Um, Kaylee Cuoco voices Harley Quinn, and actually Alan Tudyk, who who you know people know as Wash from Firefly and so many other things. Yeah. He is actually the voice of the Joker in it, um, and uh-huh. it is delightful. It, it just in general, but the stuff they really get to dig in and do with her story of rejecting that toxic relationship, uh, and and deciding to become her own villainous powerhouse is is pretty stellar. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Ron Funches is the voice of King Shark, and it's absolutely hilarious. Well, speaking of these number twos that convert, I'm not sure that there's, there's, there's a really important character in Rebels that's of this sort, but the only other one that kind of comes to mind, and it does have a fantastic scene to complement it, is Kylo Ren. Kind of the opposite of uh, Tyler Durden on this front 
he's imagining conversations with a with a parent he killed. Oh yeah, and and has a conversion, and I, that does, that just doesn't happen very often. In and Star was Wars. one of the few scenes in that film that I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's I think that's the only one I rewatch. So. Yep. Um, but it's, not the one where but, Babu Frick jumps out of the ship and is like, Bleh! well, that's number two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. No, it's not. It's in the third one. That's <laughs> no, number. That's number two on my list. It's first. It's Kylo oh! Ren throwing a lightsaber. <laughs> Second is. <laughs> yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Skywalker arrives with R two. Obi Wan. Obi Wan. Who is spraying him in the face with a fire extinguisher? Thank you. No, thank you, R two. That's quite enough. It's kind of like when the dog comes up and is licking you and you're just like, okay, seriously. <laughs> okay, okay, we get it. We get it. There's nothing up there. It's a good, it was a nice moment of humor because, right, like it's very tense and everything's on yeah. fire and people are a bit like, it was just, uh, I really laughed at that. Just that like, all right, yes, thank you. Thank you. We get it. Like, it just, I thought that was a very nice tension cutting moment. To move towards Ventress's ship. Ventress, you're not looking well. She never does. I don't like the Anakin line here, but the, I think the Obi-Wan line is spot on. She, it's not just that she crashed her ship. It's that like her whole life just fell apart. Yeah, I, I didn't like that Anakin line either. I, it just felt like uh, she never does. It's like, what you look like garbage. You got a big scar on your face. You're missing a hand. <laughs> also, we know what you look like at the very end of your life. Do you really want to judge other people? <laughs> just wait, pal. <laughs> yeah. Ventress is, in this moment, actually a betrayed woman. And someone who no longer has connection and stability and, you know, she's going to become, as it were, a free agent or she's going to need to figure out, like, what's what's next in life. And obviously she was just told by somebody who may be informed that she's going to die here. And we actually know from the Ark Troopers episode that Anakin's entirely fine with killing her. Mm-hmm. You have failed, Ventress. Surrender. Never. Springs at them with her two blades. There's a solid fight. That's a that's a killer battle too. Like that yeah. that was the thing. That was the thing. I, I got just re- I I backed it up and watched that moment a couple of times. Like it's it's she's she's such a fighter and such a yeah she's she's such a fighter that that everything she has has been taken away from her and she's probably injured because she just got into a spaceship crash. Yep. And she can still go toe to toe with these two guys and give them a pretty good run for her money. <laughs> like yeah. she, she is a, a formidable and very interesting character. Saw that in uh, in the last episode we did in yeah. Hidden Enemy that she clearly has more skill than each of these guys individually and perhaps collectively. <laughs> And I think they all routinely underestimate her, and that's their problems. Mm. And 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 it's really only because. Uh, other external things happen that that kind of saves them from her. There's moments where it's like, I think she could have wrecked you guys yeah. had the ship not tipped sideways, had the whatever, had she not had to like like it comes very close a lot of times. Don't underestimate this this woman. Duku does the same thing, you know. Exactly right. Um, one of the things just on the beauty of the fight scene, a lot of times. I will watch the person who's not attacking to see how well how well is the fight choreography here. You uh, oh. our, our eye often drifts towards here's the one person fighting the 12 
And so you're watching the one person fighting the first guy and then the next guy and then the next guy. But if you look at the other folks, they're just kind of standing around and which they would never do, you know? No, no. <laughs> and I did it in this scene, just watching what is the Jedi doing, either Anakin or Obi-Wan, who's not actually presently engaged in her. And they choreograph this perfectly to make it look as though, no, she's really handling herself. Nobody's pausing. They're both going right at her. And that just another element to the well-constructed fight scene here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, uh, who's the guy that plays uh, Gimli in uh, Lord of the Rings? Oh, uh, John Reese davies <laughs> When doing stunt work with the, st- <laughs> with the, with the stuntmen, he would, he would just, he would take control. He goes, okay. You, you come at me with the axe, and I'll hit you, and then I hit you with the axe, and then I'll hit you with the axe. Okay, go. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was uh, uh, essentially, the whole of their prepping <laughs> when Gimli was in a fight scene. Man, you want to talk about a good fight scene? Him and Legolas swapping numbers. That's just, I, that's such a fun moment where they're counting, counting kills. Classic. I love that so much. Well, then we cut to Dooku, who's speaking with a tactical droid through a hologram. Yes, my lord. Ventress is battling the Jedi on board the command ship. Turn your guns on our command ship and open fire. But, my lord, I calculate that will destroy Ventress, the Jedi, and all our forces. Precisely. Which is just such... That was another moment where, like, I got angry watching this. I was just like, oh, come on. You, again, Count Dooku is a coward. He is told, you go kill this person. And rather than do something his lazy ass self, yeah, his he's supposed to eliminate her, and he chooses to do it in the way he doesn't have to get his hands dirty. Yep. Yeah, just blow up the whole ship. And then I don't technically have to be guilty because I never did anything, but I kind of did what I was. So I get the favor of the guy, but I don't have to feel bad, nor do I have to sort of break a sweat because I'm in this very fitted outfit, this regal fitted outfit. And I just don't want to have to do that because I'm a massive coward. Again. Mentioned that. I believe we mentioned that in Arc Troopers that there's a scene in the Bible that David sends a rival into battle in a space that he knows he's going to be killed and. It is just, it's it's showcasing the cowardice there for sure. Oh, 100%. It's also, this is a, I've, I felt like this was a throwback to Braveheart. There's a scene with Edward <laughs> de Longshanks where he turns to his archers and he, you know, the, all of his army has gone into the field. They're battling William Wallace's troops and uh, de Longshanks says to the archer, fire. Archers. I beg pardon, sire. Won't we hit our own troops? And and the archer says essentially yes. the same thing that the tactical but droid we'll hit does here. As well, we have reserves. Attack, archers! Yes, we'll we'll hit theirs as well. Yeah. Do you remember oh, that? <laughs> we'll hit theirs as well. Yeah, true. But uh, does that do much for morale? But like, hey, yeah. look, we killed the. Well, we also blew up. Okay, whatever. Just send all of your people in, have all their people come in, and then just blow the whole thing up, and you win. Actually, isn't yes. that isn't that a description of how Palpatine works? I mean, oh yeah, it it, it doesn't matter. Like how you got to win, and however you get there is fine. Everything is justifiable with the, with with Palpatine. 
But it's also, I, I suppose, even going one step further, I'm going to ensure that everyone kills one another and I'm the only one left standing over here on the side looking like my hand. Oh, yeah, clean. you've, yes, I agree. Yeah. Cut back to the flagship. Anakin and Obi-Wan push Ventress back and Kenobi throws her into the wreckage of her ship and she looks beaten. Mm-hmm. And then she like digs. <laughs> she finds some inner strength and just screams with rage. <laughs> and force chokes both Jedi. Which is amazing. Yeah. Like, I don't think we've seen somebody do that to two people. Correct me if I'm wrong. I Yeah, I don't... I don't. At, at least at this point in the yeah. binge, I myself have never seen that. And again, that's, that's just a moment where it's like, yeah, you can see why all the Jedi are a little bit afraid of the emotion of rage because holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Cut back to the ship in the tactical droid. We see the Jedi and Ventress realizing the ship is going down but continuing to fight. Uh, Ventress loses a lightsaber and then another, and she is overwhelmed. The tactical droid then sends a starship crashing into the hangar. Just getting it from all sides. But I like this as a, all right, everything's blowing up. We need to get out of here. Yeah. I suppose this is how Force Awakens ends also. And by the way, this is created before Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Well, and I th- I mean, Obi-Wan and Anakin decide to get out of there first. Like, she's ready to go down fighting. Yeah, true. That's like, a good she, call. She's not ready to stop, even though she's had both of her weapons taken from her. Yeah. Like, those guys decide it's probably safer if we leave. She's ready to continue fighting until the only thing that's going to stop her from fighting is dying. I'm sure there's illustrations there where, like, sometimes I know the last casualty in World War One was of this sort that he didn't want to go home, and yeah. that, like, there's there's a there's a message that the war will end, you know, at this precise time, and so he went out like five minutes prior to the war ending and got taken down. Um, but you know what I mean? I mean, sometimes yes. you, you, it's that. Uh, well, she also doesn't know anything else yeah but that's exactly right like when you've had all of your the thing you've placed your whole identity in taken from you it's an ego montoya saying and i think we've made this reference once before (laughs) but it's him saying i've been in the revenge business my whole life now i don't know what else to do grant it's not a funny version like it kind of is in that moment but it's what do you do when the the thing that you've always done and your whole identity is centered in maybe is taken away like yeah. you're gonna keep doing it until you die, probably. In in Ventress's case, at least based off of this, I don't know what happens to her after this, but <laughs> no. But that's a powerful way to pitch that in terms of her emotional condition, which I think is just so important. And I think my first watching of Clone Wars, I didn't really get into this character the way I should have, and I'm just deeply fascinated with her now. Man, I was in right away, <laughs> as you know, because I texted you. I was like, ooh. <laughs> You're way more emotionally intelligent than I am. I just, I'm just here for the politics and the spaceships. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm here for those things too. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm saying that that's my ex- my exclusive list, and you have a much more robust, healthy, insightful set of 
things you pay attention to. <laughs> We have to get out of here. Well, there's a major explosion. Both Jedi return to their in interceptors. Ventress gets in her ship, all of which apparently still fly, which was which was handy. yeah, which seemed a little bit <laughs> like what a what a miraculous coincidence. <laughs> and they exit before the large flagship is blown up. Tactical droid. The command ship has been destroyed. Our scanning indicates there are no survivors. Because we missed the three ships that flew out of the hangar. We're terrible at our jobs. <laughs> what kind of droid are you? Tactical droid. Oh, man. <laughs> so true. Your work there is finished. Recall the fleet. By your command. Any final thoughts on, on that whole setup? It was it was interesting to watch because I saw what the episode was called, uh-huh. and also the little like screen grab that Disney Plus uses. Mm-hmm. So this first, like I did have, I was like, this is like 10, 15 minutes of this episode. Come on, what? Yeah, I was promised witches. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, what's interesting with Star Wars, I suppose, at its best is sometimes it starts off with the we called it a cold open. Mm-hmm. But those little act ones yeah. that are very different from everything else. Like, you know, everything in Jabba's palace is really different from the rest of Return of the Jedi. You know, oh, or, yeah. Or Hawk. Completely. You know? Yeah, just that act one to kind of, I guess it's to kind of hook you because let's be honest, if you just drop somebody into the latter half of this episode, I don't know if ye ever... I mean, this is being very presumptuous, but it's like, do you think ye average Star Wars fan would dig this if you no. just dropped them into the middle of 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 the of the Night Sisters? Yeah, this one felt like getting pushed into the pool for me, where I was like, "What are you doing?" You know, I I feel right. like that sometimes with other things in Star Wars. I seldom come back around to them and go, "Oh no, that was actually the right move." But that was when this feels like a right way to do it, though. Yeah, and I. But I, you know, it is one of those things that you're used to the rules, you're used to the characters, you're used to what the world looks like, and then, as we said before, then you bring in magic all of a sudden, and you're like, "Wait, we're breaking open a huge box if we go down that road." Because what you know, what's this going to look like in in all future storytelling? Well, and that's a little how I felt. When I went and saw Doctor Strange when it first yeah. came out, I was like, "This is exactly. awesome," but how does how is this guy in the same world as Tony Stark yep. and Spider Man? Yep. You know, everything is much more technological with Tony. And but again, it's just so weird because you but with Thor shows up and you're like, "Right, okay, cool." You it's, don't have the weirdness of the magic for whatever reason. It's magic, at least in my mind. Yep. What it what magic is is about power or it's even about a weapon. It's about a new element to the reality that's going to fundamentally change how warfare is done. This is what's happening yeah. in Loki right now, and they did and it so well. But when you introduce time travel, time travel oftentimes in superhero stories is a weapon, or at least it's a pow- it's a tool, you know, f- shoot from the very first well, at least the what I would ass- assume should be considered really the first 
modern superhero film, which is Superman with Christopher Reeves, like that's the tool that's utilized right there. And he spins the earth. Yeah. yeah. But that's it. And all the, the best re- Star Trek movies are about time travel. Ooh, there you go. I mean, but it's, it is the tool for getting things done both wickedly and positively. And so obviously Endgame introduces that into the MCU and then, but this is, that was where the scene, if you haven't seen this, the, there's a scene in which there's a cubicle guy sitting at a desk and he opens up a desk and there's <laughs> infinity stones in his desk drawer. Oh, there's and, like 14 of them. Guys use them as paperweights. And Loki loses his mind. And rightly so, because apparently there are other tools that are more valuable, more important in this world now. We've been we've spent the last twenty movies on on the search for these things, and now we're about to blow everything we've understood about the universe open. Yeah, I'm very excited for you to watch uh, last week's episode. Come on, because uh, I had a moment where I was like, "What? <laughs> what?" Yeah. I've loved it. as a philosopher that second episode is just it's just speaking my language the whole time. Well, there's like, some there's some great like him realizing the thing with the with the infinity stones and how he kind of sits down and just looks at the tesseract in his hand yeah. and has that like is this the most powerful force in the way like just the sort of humbling i guess of loki a little. i mean granted he, yeah. he he goes on to be very loki again in the next two episodes sure uh but there to bring it back to this episode there's something to be said for what what do you do when not when you've had everything you built your life on taken from you what happens when you you actually get the thing you've spent your entire life pursuing you know is what happens with loki it's like okay here here's the thing now you have it yeah and yeah, well, yeah. and he realizes it it does it's it's not that it's not satisfying but that it doesn't actually do the thing that you want it to do and okay i gotta chase something else yeah and it's he finds something and he finds something i'm looking forward to it um so, dear listener, uh, Loki's probably uh, at least six months old now. So, I <laughs> <Sorry about> mean, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever Marvel thing we're interested in, then the Eternals. Well, we cut back to Serrano. Duke is looking concerned, sitting in his large office. Concerned or guilty? <laughs> oh, that's a better interpretation. I felt yeah, like that's this, what I thought. I felt like this was a very artistic choice all around. They really needed more time than I gave it to to say what are they seeking to communicate here because they kind of go from this very, you know, the, the camera is a very low point looking up at Dooku who has a very high back chair. He's got a 30-foot green window behind him and what what is the thing? And I, I think that's a better interpretation. It's a, he's sitting there guilty. Yeah, that's how I took it I, because it's it's – You've tried so hard to serve this thing because the acceptance or status or whatever it gives you in your mind is the most important. So much to the point where the human connection you had, even if it was based in evil, awful, abusive things, you just destroyed the one version of the one piece of the one human relationship and connection that you actually had. And you destroyed it for getting ahead in the workplace. There of course you feel like garbage because you screwed over someone you care about. I mean, that's it. I didn't think about it on this front. When he says that she's very important to me, who else does he have? 
you know? Nobody. I mean, nobody likes General Grievous. You're not giving that dude a hug. You know? It's like... Well, even just hanging... Like, I feel like if Grievous showed up at the thing, you'd be I, like, oh, God. I probably- <laughs> Grievous is here. Oh, yeah, we get it. He's going to show us the lights. Yeah, ooh, you got a lot of lightsabers. You can hold... You cough in that direction. <laughs> I just... I think Grievous is a waste of space. Yeah. No, I mean... <laughs> I, but that's exactly it. It shows you... Dooku, who probably does have real emotional intelligence and like all human beings longs for some kind of connection. He's clearly alone in that big ass house. Who does he, who does he have? And I almost wonder if there's a, this person is very important to you, but you don't really realize it. Yeah. Until it's, I mean, it's because I've just become a cliche. Like you don't know how important something is to you until it's gone, but it does feel like, I've had friendships and relationships where where they've ended or left, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know how important s- s- somebody somebody was to until they moved or until they whatever. Like it's it's it doesn't hit you until it's too late. The great thing is it's shown, not told, because I'm kind of stumbling upon it here. I'm like, oh, you know what? That's actually <laughs> what's going on here, where they could have easily just told you, you know. With bad dialogue. Oh, especially with such an English theatrical character like Count Dooku, you could so easily have this like, oh, I am so distraught right now because yeah. of the thing. Be like, Bleh. Where he like kills a battle droid. He's like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm just so alone. <laughs> like that would be so. That would be Scar in the Lion King. There you and go. It's great when it's Scar, but it's not in this. True. He just needs a mouse running over his fingers and. <laughs> yeah. Like the scene where he makes Zazu sing to him. <laughs> right. Um, well, then he makes a phone call. Master. <laughs> what is it, Lord Tyrannus? I have done as you've asked. Asajj Ventress is dead. <laughs> Once again, you've proven your loyalty to me. Click. How do these morons, like it's... Uh, Sidious calls him because he's what, like awoken in the middle of the night with a stress dream about how powerful Asajj Ventress is because she yeah. blew up a ship and then she's still alive. Oh, sure. But they don't know. Like, is it hubris? Just like, well, it, we're powerful. It must be true. So we did. I, I, I just like, how, like, do you, did, do you have the like Xfinity version of the force that like it only works <laughs> some of the time? Like, what is the deal? I like that. Like I just, like I, I've never understood that in Star Wars. And, and maybe it's just because sometimes you need to do plot things. But but there's part of me that's like, come on. Come on. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that. Maybe there's not a disturbance. Maybe he's getting like Battlefront reports and hears that Asajj Ventress oh, yeah. is kicking our ass. <laughs> and, you know, um, but I, yeah, that's true. And he's just saying, I've sensed that this is a thing, as opposed to, yeah. it's like, it's in a memo taped to the wall in front of him. I have a premonition that, uh, let's see, what is the second line? Asajj Venture says, oh, she's too powerful. I've sensed this. There is some Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs going on here with, <laughs> I need you to take this lovely person out into the woods, kill her, bring me back her heart. Um. Dooku oh, is yeah. Dooku's the huntsman. The mirror eventually doesn't the mirror eventually say to the witch, "Hey, by the way, it's no, you're still not the fairest." And that's when she has yes, to go. that is correct. 
it's I probably have not seen that since I was seven. But <laughs> right. yes, I believe that that's what happens. The mirror is a little bitchy, which is what like, which is why they go on to make the mirror the way the mirror is in Shrek. It's like a more <laughs> humanized, even version of it in that, which is the real snarky, snide. It's like the Jarvis of of uh, magic mirrors. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Is this not the most perfect kingdom of them all? Well, technically, you're not a king. Uh, Thelonious, you were saying? What I mean is, uh, you're not a king yet. Did you and I talk the other day about Jarvis? Were we saying, like, Tony Stark, the, the reason Jarvis can become Ultron, or excuse me, the reason Jarvis can become the Vision is because... Tony treats him like a human from the beginning. He never treats him like a machine oh. to order. Were you and I talking oh, about this? I haven't heard oh. this. I don't know how the hell this is in my head, but yeah, just like he, Tony always has treated Jarvis like he ta- he doesn't say computer add in a da- even with the paint. It's like he doesn't say computer add in a dash of whatever whatever color of paint. It's like Jarvis yeah. wants you a little hot rod red in there. Like he talks to him like you talk to a friend. Um, I love that. Any last thoughts on this scene between Dooku and Sidious? Well, I was going to say, yeah, it it just feels like, it does feel like Sidious just wanted to remind him that he's in charge, because, you know, he, he says it's done, and there's not even a thank you, well done, I, I knew I could count on you, It's he's basically like, good. Yeah. And he hangs up, like, it just, it, it's just proof that everybody is disposable to, to these guys. Yeah. Particularly to this guy. Yeah. I suppose because I know how the Clone Wars unfolds from this point. One, this is a really important moment, you know? Yeah. You are essentially unleashing a very powerful person into the rest of the universe um, who's going to do some stuff. And who who you've routinely, uh, I'm going to, at some point I'll stop talking about Harley Quinn but I mean it is one of those things where it's like when you only think somebody's a second and you just loose them out into the world yeah they're everything that they know how to do they're suddenly going to realize that they can do more than that and it's gonna become bad yeah or and we'll talk about this in when we pick this episode up next time there is a ton of overlap between Asajj Ventress and Ahsoka Tano um, yeah. Okay. And, and we'll unpack that a little bit, but both of them don't actually realize. Neither one. One doesn't become a Jedi. One doesn't become a Sith. They both have a sense of deep betrayal. They both carry two lightsabers. I mean, there's the clue right there. Oh man, they have interesting <laughs> facial markings. Oh, the tattoos. Um, she is like a photo negative of Ahsoka. <laughs> I mean, Ahsoka doesn't have any hair either. So. Oh my God! It's, Interchangeable. I don't know how we missed it. But I want to talk about, uh, about these two when we pick this up uh, because a yeah. lot of uh, Asajj Ventress's backstory, we have saved Ventress in the deep dive on Ventress till next time because there is a huge scene that just essentially tells you all you need to know about this person. And for the first three seasons, as a Clone Wars fan, if you're just going straight through, you don't know any of this. I mean, she is just the evil henchman. And then all of a sudden they show you backstory and you're like, oh, okay. Now we got something. <laughs> we got something with like some real humanity here. It's it's yeah. Jamie Lannister in a hot tub saying, Let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you what happened. Yeah. That's a good comparison. 
Hey friends, it would mean the world to us if you take just two seconds and give us some stars or share this on your social media of choice. Nobody ever shares these on their social media. I will, I will personally send you a thank you note, and if you if you share this on your social media and 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 tag me in it, I'll I'll send you a I'll send you an autographed copy of something that I have laying around here. I'm sure I got a Star Wars autograph from from like somebody who played a droid or or a, or an Ewok or something that I could send to as a gift. Or we'll just show up and do this live in your house. <laughs> That's right. We're here for the recording. But, of course, with all podcasts of this sort, this one's only going <coughs> to survive if you share it with just you know a person or two in your life who you love. Um, that's how all podcasts actually get out there and are consumed and enjoyed. So, music here is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gordonson, and the great Kevin Kiner. All Star Wars material is created by the fantastic artists at Lucasfilm, and you can find all of the links to all of our stuff at thestarwarsbinge.com or on the Twitter. He's Daniel Mothershed. Once again, you've proven your loyalty to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jeff Cook. Still not looking well. That'll be a good, <laughs> good line. I bet I can find that Kenobi line. Oh, yeah. Because you know why, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. Because this is the way.